Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You're telling me, producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a lot of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchase is made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We covered a lot of great movies that were adapted from other material in Season 10. Our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals is where listeners can purchase the source material behind all our adapted film discussions. It helps support the show at no extra cost when you buy through our links. In our foreign language Best Picture nominees series, we looked at several adaptations, including Z, The Postman Il Postino, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Letters from Iwo Jima. We hit the high seas with In the Heart of the Sea from Nathaniel Philbrick's nonfiction book for our Aquatic Killers series. Eh, definitely a weaker entry in that series. I bet the book is better. Oh, me too. Member bonus episodes featured adaptations like Gone Girl, The Russia House, Ivanhoe, The Hot Rock, The Big Heat, and Naked Lunch. Oliver Stone brought not just original stories, but also adaptations like Conan the Barbarian, Scarface, Year of the Dragon, Eight Million Ways to Die, Talk Radio, and Born on the Fourth of July. Mary Heron's disturbingly insightful American Psycho was adapted from the Brett Easton Ellis book. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Oh my god, it even has a watermark. And of course, more Stephen King with The Mist, The Green Mile, and The Shawshank Redemption for our King a la Darabont series. Find links to all of these books and more adapted films on our Originals page. That's thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports our show. Get the full list of books that we've talked about and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. The Shawshank Redemption is over. It's time for the Count of Monte Cristo. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard all the evidence. I submit that this was not a 
hot-blooded crime of passion. Consider this. A revolver holds six bullets, not eight. That means that he fired the gun empty and then stopped to reload. By the power vested in me by the state of Maine, I hereby order you to serve two life sentences back to back. One for each of your victims. So be it. Send you here for life. That's exactly what they take. I believe in two things. Discipline. Help me! In the Bible. Here you'll receive both. Andy came to Shawshank Prison in 1947. Why'd you do it? I didn't, since you asked. <laughs> you can fit right in. I must admit, I didn't think much of Andy the first time I laid eyes on him. He had a quiet way about him walk and a talk that just wasn't normal around here. There are places in the world that aren't made out of stone. There's something inside that they can't touch. What are you talking about? Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Damn it, dude, friend, you're putting me behind. Hope can drive a man insane. You better be sick or dead in there, I kid you not. Better get used to that idea. Oh my holy God. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living. You get busy dying. Get busy living. Or get busy dying. That's damn right. Andy, unprecedented, unprecedented change in the next reel today. Uh, we're, we're not prone to these kinds of shenanigans, but in fact, we were, nay, practically on a dare, uh, <laughs> asked to invite these guests back to the next reel family uh, to talk about this fair movie. Uh, Tom and Tony Bancroft, uh, animators extraordinaire, uh, gadabouts, gentlemen about town, scholars handsomest handsomest men in hollywood uh welcome to the show guys thanks andy thanks thanks for having us back yeah i guess we didn't i know we didn't break the internet with our last episode tom (laughs) we did it (laughs) it came close Uh, let's see last time last time we were here we talked about 101 dalmatians which was in our wheelhouse being animators but now we, uh, and I think at the end of that, it was a short episode. We only got up to a hundred, I think. <laughs> we talked about a hundred of them. Yeah, yeah. We, I remember ninety. We've been dying to see what anyway. happens to that last Dalmatian, and then Emma Stone comes along, and we have another Disney live action right? remake. <laughs> what I'm is so that? So excited know? about what Disney's doing with these things right I, now. I like Emma Stone. I'm going to watch anything she does, so I yeah. probably will be there for that. Although it looks dark and yet cheesy at the same time. I don't know how yeah. they've achieved that. <laughs> yeah, the the uh I see the trailer dropped and I I heard a lot of negative comments, you know. It seemed like the internet was wanted to jump on it and say bad things, but I agree with Tony. Emma Stone classes it up quite a yeah. bit. Yeah, she does. Definitely. Welcome to hot ta- hot take country USA. Uh you know, we have to get mad about something every time a trailer drops, right. but uh I think she looks great and yeah, I I'd, I'd watch her staring at rocks. Sure. Uh, Stones. Yeah. Maybe Emma Stones. Yeah. I missed that joke. Yeah. How did I miss that joke? Uh, what do you guys, uh, before we dig into the movie, what are you guys up to right now? Who would like to go first? Give us a little plug. But, Tom, oh, you came out first, right? So go ahead. <laughs> is, is that how you all determine things? You were the first one out. I'm the eldest. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was. I am older. So yeah. In China, they said Tony was more gracious to let me out first. So he is the, the favored son. That's right. I'm considered the first son in, in China, <laughs> for sure. But you're welcome. But we don't live in China, Tony. So I'll go. Um, yeah, so I have a lot going on. Uh, both Tony and I are instructors, but I'm at Lipscomb University, uh, where we have an animation program that I started here about six years ago or so. And I also have started my own company, which is Pencilish Animation uh, Studios. And that's uh, actually the very first crowdfunded animation studio. In history. So uh, we're yeah. in history, if you don't count a couple other things. But yes, <laughs> uh, we... We are on wefunder.com backslash pencilish if you want to check that out. What else? Uh, let's see. I think I do a podcast. I'll let Tony talk mm. about that and, uh, and just keep him busy with all kinds of stuff. But those are the, those, are, oh, and then Mermaid is right around the corner. I don't know when this drops, but I was, I'm the creator of Mermaid on Instagram, which is a, a daily drawing challenge in May, uh, where you draw a mermaid every day. Tom took over a whole month of the year. Just I'm glad they let you do that. That's so much to draw. <laughs> that is. Every day you draw a mermaid. You guys up for that? That event has really taken off like crazy. And we have over a million posts on Instagram now in the last, uh, I think it's six years. Wow. And then also, I just discovered that TikTok it is even bigger there and has 33 million uh, posts uh, for everything mermaid. on TikTok ends with a million. Whatever you yeah, say. Yeah, that's that's, how, like that's it. how it yeah, works. I think it yeah. So on TikTok, yeah. are they videos of them, of them drawing them then? It's them drawing okay. or, or revealing the gotcha. drawing. Okay. There's, there's creative ways to, to do that. Uh, and I've posted on TikTok. I have my own TikTok too. But, and with me, it's sort of like, you know, speed drawing. You know, I'm videotaping myself drawing, but I speed it up, you know, because you only have about a minute. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you have... A signature TikTok dance? I don't. I should. I should have like uh, the mermaid wave yeah. or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it needs to be that. The old you... guy mermaid dance. <laughs> I can really catch yeah. on. Here we go. Well, unlike Tom, I don't have a, a month that has a name that I created for it. But I, uh, the other 11 months, I'm hard at work as an instructor uh, for APU, Azusa Pacific University. I started the animation program there. I've been working um, actually not for Disney like I'm known, but for Warner Brothers recently. I just animated Space Jam 2, which will be coming to theaters uh, this July. Super Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> right. You got to add that to any two. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, working on storyboarding a new uh, Warner Brothers feature right now. Um, and yes, as Tom said, we covered all 101 anim- uh, Dalmatians in our podcast because it's the Bancroft Brothers animation podcast. It is available on iTunes and Spotify. Go check it out if you love animation and low-sounding twins that are really old. It is a great podcast to listen to. I'm not an animator. Yeah, it may be in a former life I, I was, but I just love the whole idea. And listening to you all talking about uh, animation with other animators is, uh, is pretty pretty cool. So, well, if, if somebody like yells down the hallway and they go, hey, Walt, do you turn around? It's like sometimes you feel like, oh, wait, was I Walt? Was, was I Walt? Walt yeah, at one time in my maybe. life. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess it's interesting. One. I'll have to, I'll have to think about but that. But you guys yeah. are animated and we love talking to animated folks too. So that's why we're happy yeah. to be here with you guys. Well, we are thrilled. We're kicking off a new series. It is our Stephen King a la Darabont series. Mm. And uh, we're, we're, oh. we're going to be covering the Shawshank Redemption, the Green Mile and the Mist. So it should be a, a fun yeah. little series, but we're kicking it off with you. Before we start though, I just have a couple questions since 
by the time this comes out, the Oscars will have just ended. And I'm just curious. I just want to get hot takes from you uh, both real quick. Animated feature film. There were five nominees. Onward, Over the Moon, A Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, Soul, and Wolfwalkers. What? Uh, any preferences from you two? You know, there's always the there's two answers to these questions. There's what you think is going to win and what you want to win. Right. So, exactly. Yeah, what I think is going to win, right. hands down, will be Soul. Pixar sure. is going to sweep it. They got two contenders this year. They're going to win one of them. But you know, Onward is not Soul. Soul is going to be the winner. But what I'd like to win, um, you know, uh, Wolfwalkers. Um, we've done podcasts with every single one of these directors. As a matter of fact, I think, um, and um, we. <laughs> We recently did one with the Wolfwalkers directors um, and um, we love those guys. And I just think it's a phenomenal animated film. Uh, Really, really beautiful 2D animation. So that's my vote. And then there's this third tier, which is entertainment level. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, because, well, yeah, I think Wolfwalkers would be my choice artistically. Not positive it would be my choice on the entertainment side. But yeah, I, I'm going to stick with Wolfwalkers as being my favorite one. Yeah, I agree with Tony, though, 100%. I do think it's going to be Soul that'll be the winner. And and probably fairly so. Sure. It's it's still really... It's we, did, we did a podcast with Pete Doctor, the director of Soul, too. Yeah. Um, he's a, he, we actually were in the same class at CalArts. So we were, we've oh, cool. known him since he was a young tyke. He was always tall. Tall, <laughs> tall like a giant. He but, is very um, tall. Yeah, yeah. He, he is. But such a... He hasn't changed a bit. When we talk to him in our podcast, I, I highly recommend somebody go check that out because we we gabbed it up like uh, little schoolgirls, and it was so wonderful just to talk about um, our our shared past back at CalArts and staying up late working on our student films. Yeah, about half of that podcast we did talk about the CalArts uh, days and gave a little bit of insights, and he told a funny story about us, and we told you know a funny story about him. Uh, but then we did talk about soul and that was like this podcast. It's just like, you know, sooner or later you got to get back to what you're supposed to talk about. So we'll do that now. Eventually. eventually. I mean, I feel like in terms of moving the state of CG animation forward, soul captured sweat. Unlike anything I've ever seen (laughs) in my life. You guys, you're a guy about the details. I could tell that already. You you could, you could watch him play the piano and go to a piano and play it like that motion capture of fingers hitting keys yes. is legit y'all oh, like that is yeah amazing. they do that research they research in depth absolutely yeah. and and it's probably not motion captured no in pixar that's not the way they yeah work. they're gonna single frame yeah, you're I, you're i don't know why i said i don't know what i'm talking about that's uh, all right it was just clear very impressive i mean you proved it <laughs> A little embarrassing. It's impressive, but wrong. Nothing embarrasses me anymore, you guys. You know what? You tried. That's right. That's right. I showed up to play. Okay. Yeah. Um, So we're here to talk about uh, the Shawshank Redemption, uh, and uh, very excited to hear your opinions of this. I think we should start with a very important question. Do you remember when you first entered Shawshank? Man, that's a good question. It must have been in the movie theater. It came out in 1994. So... you know, I you know I always think about my life in terms of Disney movies that I worked on. And my kids were born on either Lion King or Emperor's New Groove, you know, um, and that was the year uh, Lion King released. So somewhere in the year, um, Shawshank hit also, and I'm going to say that Lion King was probably a, a summer release. I bet this was probably a winter release, and so I would have been sitting nestled in next to my lovely wife watching Shawshank in the theater. I remember it being life-changing, though. It was one of those uh, sitting in the theater and enjoying the story 
uh, I will say, I don't, I think I came into it with a lot of misgivings. I think I waited, I, I could have waited about a week probably before I saw it. And I'm only because I was really thrown off by the poster, the marketing campaign for Shawshank. Yes. Really took me aback. And I thought it was, it looked like a horror film. It looked like, I didn't know what it was, but you mm-hmm. just see Tim Robbins in the rain, you know, and I was just yeah, like, right. I don't, I don't. right. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, and, it's the yeah, platoon yeah. shot at right. the end, right? And right. in platoon, it didn't it's end as well, eight. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I have the same kind of fuzzy memory, but very close. Which would be, yeah, I definitely saw it in the theater. But all the bitterness going in that I think all the U.S. had, which was, what's with this title? Yeah, right. Let's go see Shank Wright, whatever. <laughs> you know, nobody could say it right. Nobody knew what it was. And then, yeah, the poster, the marketing on it, I remember was terrible, not only the title, but also, um, you know, because really it's it's based on a book called um, Rita Hayworth, Rita, Rita Hayworth so, and the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, there it is. It was published in uh, different so, seasons. In which is actually a worse title. Let's <laughs> be fair. That's an even worse title. But uh, yeah, and not a lot of people knew Tim Robbins very well. They knew him from Jacob's Ladder, which is also a reason probably, Tony, that you thought it was a horror right. movie. Uh, Jacob and hey, Slatter Bull Durham. Re- Bull Durham. Right. Yeah, that's that was true. a comic term. Okay. Which was also a horror movie. <laughs> hey, now. Hey, now. Horrible. <laughs> but, but I will say this, just to end that, I, I, I loved it right away. Um, you know, some of the hard to watch prison scenes, uh, were, I remember, were hard to watch. But, uh, man, the redemption of it. The redemption part of that title really comes through. Is end. it, though, and Tom? It, is it about redemption? That's not even the theme of the movie, is it? What does he redeem from if he's innocent? Spoiler well, alert. We're doing spoilers, right? Is that okay? <laughs> it's all yeah, spoiler alert. Okay. Spoiler okay. Alert. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but Tony, that's that's a built-in part of the story is that that he knows he's innocent, but nobody else thinks he is, even the right. system, of so course. He has to redeem himself. And then he even has somebody eye. pop up later on in the film that can prove it, and they don't let him prove it. Right. Right? And so he basically has to find his own redemption, Tony, by escaping. That's true. That's true. He makes which is, his which own is, And by taking down those who kept him there. Right, yes. right. So, so his redemption and, and is justified. One, we get justified redemption. And two, his, the, the, his paramour, <laughs> Morgan Freeman, Red, is, yeah. uh, actually does his time and gets out legitimately. Like he is, he he's the only guilty man in Shawshank. He does his time and he is, he learns some lessons too along the way. I think I, I, I saw the movie. I didn't, I thought it was a good movie for years, but it's a movie that keeps getting better. And I don't think I learned that it was a great movie until I saw it probably 15 years ago and it it became that great film. I think I was too young when I first saw it. I didn't understand it. I didn't have enough great male friendships that lasted years to really understand that this is also kind of a love story mm. um, that you don't yeah. get in, you know, done quite as well as as this movie does it, as their relationship changes and evolves and and becomes stronger as a result of all of their trials. And uh, it's just terrific. I, and I love that that love that love story is between, well, two men, but but that it's a black man and a white mm-hmm. man, yeah. right? Um, and because in the book, I don't know if you guys know this, but red is, is an Irish white. Right. (laughs) And so they went a totally different direction when they cast Morgan Freeman, uh, for the part of red. And I, I think it, it honestly has taken this film to another level because you've read the book. No, I did. I don't read. No, (laughs) no, just 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 Google. All right. Google. 
Just he reads read, Google. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Andy, have you read the book? I have, yes. Okay, uh, I think you're the only one. I haven't read the book. Okay, or good. if I did, I, mm. I swear I did, but I didn't. I don't have any memory of it. What is it different? Is, it's, a, it's a short novella. It's in the different seasons um, collection, sp- yeah. collection um, of, and I think this is Spring, uh, I believe. Hope Springs Eternal, I believe, is kind of the subtitle for it in there. Um, and I mean, it really holds true to, to what uh, Frank Darabont did here. Frank Darabont as he adapted it, he did add more meat to it. He expanded Brooks' character a little bit. Um, there were there were a few other elements that he had to kind of expand on to flesh the story out. But largely, it's it's very accurate the way that it's told. Um, but and, and I think yeah. that, I heard there were multiple wardens too, and they they made it just one warden. Yeah, because because right? of time, I, I think right. just as the time was was going and everything, but. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think works so well in the film because the warden's character, where my uh, my understanding is in the book, every warden has a unique sort of personality. And in the movie, the warden changes over time, just as all these other characters and relationships over the years. And he just gets worse. He just oh, he's, like, terrible. He's, he he's poisoned by being inside that system yeah. in authority. It's just terrible. And I think it, it actually feels really natural to have him sort of age light up right along with the, the story. He really becomes the big bad, uh, like, yeah. I mean, bigger and bigger uh, over the course of the film. By the time you're getting toward the end and you're seeing him cutting all these shady business deals, uh, you know, as he's doing these work release programs and having the prisoners, you know, you know, build build roads or whatever it is they're doing and, and you know, making deals with the people that he's taking the work away from so that they can get it. And it's like this guy is just like he is really up to no good. So it's it's interesting to see that character, especially from the start of the film when he is, you know, preaching the word of the Lord and he's such a seemingly, you know, kind of holy kind of focused character who's there to really reform these people. And you just see over time that that's really not what he's up to. I think that's what I I love so much about Shawshank is that they play with it, it's kind of one of the things that that makes this such a guy's movie. I want to say that um I know it sounds sexist to say it, but there's certain it is very there's sexist. Cer- yeah, to thank say you. That. <laughs> there's so many movies, yeah. you know, there's so many movies that are like kind of been deemed as the guy movies, right? There's, you know, this one I I consider Tombstone a real classic guys movie and then of course the all-time classic the godfather but it's that um this one plays upon you know truths uh in in a, a very interesting way because there's warden norton who we're just talking about who's probably the most dishonest person because he puts on airs about who he really is right about the good book and his belief and 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 faith and yet he is the most dirty crooked uh, hardest cursing, you know, just, you know, violence loving kind of bad guy. Uh, although Captain Hadley, of course, played by the lovely Cl- uh, Clancy Brown, he is so wonderful too, wonderfully mean and uh, sadistic. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like Andy, our main character, you know, he's the only one that has this kind of pure, honest voice through the whole thing. And he's supposed to be, you know, this cold blooded killer. What he really is, is the one that has the most common sense, the most truth about him is, is kind of undying in his, his truthfulness, gets him in trouble sometimes. Um, but he has such the, the pure heart, you know, um, and even though, you know, the other convicts like Red and all these, these other guys that are in it, that are such a great cast. They, um, you know, they all play around with truth, you know, talking about how they're all, you know, 
not there, you know, they're all there by accident or, you know, they were screwed by their attorneys or whatever like that. They know, they know that they're bad people. They know that they have a place there that they deserve to be there. And yet they play up this whole thing. Like it's everybody else's fault. And he's the only one that like, it's not his fault. And yet he takes the most responsibility for at all times being the most truthful and good hearted of them all. And, you know, it, it's funny because I, I think about Andy in the movie and obviously I've seen this movie so many yeah. times and, and it is that kind of thing where I'm at home, I'm flipping channels. It's just on, it's on all the time, yeah, right? right? TBS, whatever that, but especially back in the cable days, it would just be playing at all times of the day. And I, I, my wife always said, Oh, I just lost you again to Shawshank <laughs> because I would just sit down and I'd just start watching no matter what part of the movie it was. But I've seen it so many times, I kind of have been thinking about Andy a lot, you know, like, who was he? Because you see very little of his life before he goes to jail. And when he's in jail, he seems like this noble, cold, but noble kind of guy. Uh, no, And I mean cold in that he doesn't show much emotion. He's very sort of yeah, calculating yeah. emotionally yeah. Mm-hmm. and calculating. And that's that's why people think he probably was a murderer, I guess, in, in the movie. But like. Would he was he the guy before the movie, back when he was the banker and not a great husband? Was he the kind of guy that would have got the beers for everybody else, you know, like on the top of the mm-hmm. roof in the movie? Was he that or or did he become that? Right, you know? right. And I love Yeah. We're never gonna know really, but I feel like he became a better person in in jail. That's a good point. Yeah, I think I think as an audience, you're kind of watching for that a little bit. Like what is his arc? His did he have things that he regretted? He did talk about his relationship with his wife that he regretted that he was a bad husband, that he drove her to what she ultimately did. So he was going, I have to take some responsibility here. I'm not the victim that everybody else is. I actually think I caused this problem in my marriage that ultimately rocked me here. So, um, but, but I think we like him for that, don't we? I mean, I, I feel like, you know, who's this guy that's going to take responsibility for his wife screwing around and then, you know, go, yeah, I didn't kill her, but it was probably my fault. Well, it's, it's an interesting thing to look at the way that protagonists can be written in scripts, because I think they're generally will, they'll fall into two camps. One, you'll have the protagonist who, who has some issue with, with their character. And over the course of the film, you're seeing that protagonist, like go through that big character arc of figuring out, you know, what they need to do, how they need to change to become a better person and, uh, and kind of make that change at the end of the script. Hopefully. Um, but then you also have that type of protagonist who really is kind of they're setting an ideal. And just by being there over the course of the film, you're seeing them change a lot of the people around them. And I think what's interesting with Andy uh, Dufresne is that he he definitely I feel like is in that latter camp where he's really kind of like you're seeing we, from the start. We as we're meeting Red, he's going to these parole hearings and he just he you know, he's kind of like pitching it but he doesn't really have that sense of hope and andy kind of brings hope into the prison and and starts changing all this stuff and he talks about hope and red is always like hope's a dangerous thing and and that line kind of goes through of him and hope all the way through the end of the film um and even if he has that low point where he's in solitary for two months you know he he still comes out of that ready to kind of make some changes. But I still think that, you know, your point is really interesting because I feel like there is some sense of change that he's also going through in here. And and I, I feel like, yeah, maybe he didn't do those things before, 
But by seeing these people and like coming into contact with them through this awful situation that he's now in, he all of a sudden is like, he's finding a way to even grow some more and, and making those choices that he's having, like, you know, talking to Clancy Brown's character and and kind of pitching him on, on, you know, what he can do to save all that money and getting beers for everybody. And I feel like there's this, it's almost like this leveling up for him as he's, as he's going through the film. I think that's, I think that's exactly it because he has this great line that I think is none too subtle to this very point where he says, I was straight laced in, you know, when I was outside, I had to, you know, come to prison to become a crook. I think that line is demonstrating. I had to come to prison to learn to live. Like that's the true, what is demonstrative of the movie to, to learn to live. Yeah. And, and hope is such a core there, but that's something else I wanted to react to that you'd said, Andy, that, that just, you know, really hit me. And I forgot about this in my own past is that, so this film came out in 1994. Uh, Tom and I both worked on The Lion King, which came out that year. I didn't know this at the time, but after seeing uh, Shawshank Redemption, I would go on to become one of the co-directors on uh, Mulan, the animated Mulan. Really? Um, yeah, I wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted to throw that in here now so that so that we could riff off that. I don't hear that every podcast. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, Anyways, <laughs> to my point, Tom, um, is that oh, um, yeah. you had you had said, Andy, that um, uh, and this is getting com- very confusing because Andy and then the main character is right, right. Andy, but um, that you can call me Mister Nelson. <laughs> there you go. Then <laughs> oh, Andy in the movie, he changes everybody else. He doesn't really change. He does have some change. But when we were developing Mulan, and I remember referencing this very movie because I would have seen it by the time we started working on Mulan, that was a core thing of making Mulan different from the other different from the other female princesses at the time. One of the strengths that she has and one of the differences in the storytelling is that we wanted Mulan to be she doesn't really change at all. It's she's put upon by what Chinese culture is and 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 what her family expects of her to become this China doll, this perfect China doll, and yet goes against that, of course, by going off, sacrificing herself to save her father's life um, and dressing as a man and going off to war. Um, and ultimately, that's not what she wants either. It's not like she wants to dress up as a man. This is, uh, you know, a device that we've given her that she to put her in that situation. But she ultimately just wants to be allowed to be who she is in this dynamic of the story structure historically and otherwise and and ultimately changes how all of china view women at that time and that's really where we go to in the movie is that she's rewarded for basically being who she is um and um ultimately i feel like that's andy's reward is that he goes within this system that tries to beat you down and tries to change you into something else and he somehow comes out just as good and just as true to heart as he is when he went in and somehow even improved upon as he goes now into he changes yeah into, right. Right. well he changes the people right and he, yeah, he changes yeah, the universe that. of the prison he really does and uh you know so there's all this that that happens because of his presence there he wasn't that jim rock that he you know he's been sculpting down he wasn't that Jim Rock that was forced into uh, being changed through, you know, time and, and, and impact all the time from the prison. He, he remained the same. One of the most satisfying sequences in the movie is he's not even in it. It's the the prisoners left in the prison telling stories about their experiences with Andy. Yeah. Uh, some yeah. sort of vessel of history. And uh, it's just I 
that that gets me every time uh you know we should all be so lucky right right yeah 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 exactly it's legacy yeah. i mean he, i think he, that's what he becomes a legend yeah, yeah. yeah. but that's what we want I, I guess that's why i think of it as like a man's film in a lot of ways because uh you know i think men want to have a certain legacy we all do of course but there for a long time that was kind of the core oh, i want to be a man of integrity i want to uh leave a legacy for my family for my kids um and those are kind of all things that are kind of wrapped up in a lot of what who andy is right 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 so I, w- I want to introduce an idea here because I was talking about how who Andy was before the movie, and you really don't get much of of a, a glimpse at that. But you also, but and and the only ones you do are negative. They're from Andy. He's talking about how he was a bad husband and how he was not emotionally available for her, and him just being a banker. You can tell he's he's probably what that's probably all true. Yeah. But the, I've seen this movie so many times. And there's always this pivotal part where I go, and it wasn't until maybe this last viewing, uh, just this last weekend, where I said, wait, at what point does he plan his escape? Because it's confusing. You know, there's a timeline change that's going on throughout the movie, mm-hmm. right? We're doing, and there's especially a flashback at, at the end when you, when you find out that he's escaped. It's a surprise to everybody right, in right. The jail, but also to the, to the audience. And then they start revealing what happened, right? and it's not till then that you realize that he has been planning this for years, right? To dig that tunnel. They said it would take how many years? I can't remember, but it was, it would take, you know, 20 or 30 years to, to dig that tunnel. So he, he literally plant, and that's what makes me go back to that and go, wait, he got the rock hammer early on in the movie. He had just met Red, uh, uh, yeah. uh Red. And, um, and at, that was his first thing that he asked for was this rock hammer. And and he does. He ends up making the chess sets and stuff like that. But I always thought, oh well, he did for a few years made chess sets and things like that. And it wasn't until he like uh, got thrown into the remember like what for about two months yeah, solitary, solitary. Yeah. yeah, solitary. And I thought it was like around that time, like he'd been broken, and he was like, now I'm going to start escaping, right? But no, he had been planning this. And by the way, they out. He would never have had, been able to dig that whole tunnel. So. He'd been planning this since he got that rock mm-hmm, hammer. Pretty much. And so that actually kind of, in a way, says something about him, is that he had hope back then, but he also was somebody that could keep that hope going through the worst times, right? Yeah. And some good, some highs, but a lot of lows. And uh, and then in the end, was ready when, it, when things got really bad at that sort of the third uh, act. Uh, where he gets thrown into the the jail, like all hope is gone. Mm. You know they've killed this guy that he trained, and um, and he's been told he he can't leave, mm-hmm. and that they've found out that there's a guy out there that could clear his name and he could get released. And oh no, we're not going to do that. Everything's going to stay the same. So he's at his lowest ebb, um, and he knows he's got a way out. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. right. All as he's saying all those things, and it's, and it's really red and the rest of the audience that doesn't know what he knows, which is he's got a way out. And so when Red is hearing him kind of lament about, you know, maybe it was me that killed my wife, really, because I wasn't emotionally yeah. there. We get, and what script wise, what that's doing is that's getting Red and us, the audience, thinking that he's depressed and he's going to go kill yeah, himself. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, and then we find out he got he got rope from one of his other friends, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so it sets everything up. And we've nicely. already seen Brooks kill himself too. Yeah, depression. True, true. Yeah, with right. with rope, right. Yeah. right? And so Great setup. to find that all out, 
that, because that's the part that I think a lot of people miss is like, when did he start making this plan? And I think it's fascinating in some ways that it was within the first few months, probably, of him Do you, being was in it, that it was how long after he got the rock hammer did he get the poster? Because for me, that's when he started planning because he had the rock hammer. And uh, to me, that may have that's been true. legit. And in, in the flashback, we go back to when he first drew the A on the wall. Yeah. And the pieces start to come together that, oh, he's going to need something to cover that. So he goes back and gets the, exactly. the poster. Right. So you're right. That would be the official kind of start right. of when yeah. he did it, when he got that poster. So the rock hammer, he had pretty yeah. early on but then the poster two years he, that's about when he figured out that the walls were soft enough that he could actually get through it with the rock hammer and, and i love the script writing frank darabont uh doesn't give him uh i don't think we give him enough credit for the script for this uh this movie he gets a yeah. lot of accolades as a director but i think his script work is far far better um uh it, just how he orchestrates everything that rita hayworth poster um it really, he gets the idea. Remember the movie night that they have where all the yep. all yes. the guys in jail and Rita Hayworth does that little flip of her hair and <laughs> red Morgan Freeman's character just goes gaga for that, makes a big deal about it. It's after that that he asks for the Rita Hayworth poster. And so yeah. it's nicely set up there that you think, okay, well, yeah, he fell in love with Rita Hayworth. He had seen that movie a bunch of times, just like everybody. And so that's why he would ask for a specific you know, nobody questions about like, well, why Rita? Or, you know, why not this exactly. poster or that poster? And we do see that as years go on, there's a new Marilyn Monroe poster or something like that. Right. Yeah, and then Raquel, right? Oh, Raquel. Yeah, Raquel. Well, I can't even say it. It's Raquel Welch. Welch. Uh, Welch's jelly. I love that. Um, <laughs> but, but even in the beginning, like right when they're they're rolling in, um, you know, into prison and we start with the narration by Morgan Freeman he talks about how, you know, it was Rita, you know, uh, his request for Rita Hayworth to be brought to him that got them together. Um, and so it's set up so far, just in the very beginning of the movie, we know that Rita Hayworth, as is the title of the book by Stephen, uh, Stephen King, that Rita Hayworth in this poster is going to have some kind of big epic thing to do with this story, but we don't know how. And, and I think right. for me as an audience member, I'm just like itching my head going, I want to know more about what is this thing about Rita Hayworth and why is she such a big thing? <laughs> she really isn't, you know, no, <laughs> she's ultimately. Not. What's funny is that they changed the title because originally it was just called Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption for the film. But Frank Darabont started getting all these these uh, actresses sending sending requests for auditions and sending their headshots in because they wanted to play Rita Hayworth. They thought it was a Rita Hayworth biopic <laughs> <laughs> because apparently they didn't know that Stephen King's sense. story. And so they're like, we got to change this. And of course, yeah. you know, yeah, even Shawshank was was trouble for a lot of people at the time. Stupid Hollywood, right? They're just dumb. <laughs> so true. Um, now, I've always felt, and tell me if anybody's felt this way, because Shawshank's a really long movie, right? Now, uh, I probably thought that the very first time. I'm like, wow, because I remember I did go with my wife, and she was the one that noted it. She's like, oh, this thing's still going? I'm like, yeah, isn't it great, <laughs> right? Like, I'm, I'm so into it. I don't want it to end. But I remember her making that comment the first time we watched it. But... um and part of that is because I, I even noted it. It's like about an hour and a half in, it becomes a, a second movie. I really feel like there's two movies to Shawshank. And one is basically him surviving jail and all that and, and then building the library. And you can almost end it right there. Of course, it would you wouldn't have all that great stuff mm -hmm. later. 
But then as soon as they introduce, and I can't remember his name, but that young guy, right? The Tommy. Young, that guy that he ends up training. Mm-hmm. Tommy. Tommy. It's, it's, it's your name, uh, Tom. That's, it's my name. <laughs> that's, that's right. I can remember. Yeah. Can remember. <laughs> um, so literally that bus coming down the road with Tommy in it, now we get the 50s kind of music and all that. That is the beginning of this sort of second part of the movie. And I remember that's when people start kind of uh, shifting in their seats and my wife's checking her watch. Because we're like, wait, where is this going? We just start to go down a completely different path because we take a long time to get to know Tommy, mm. really, and and how he becomes one of the group and how they like him a lot. All that is to set up, obviously, him getting shot. Right, right, yeah, right. right. And, and, and taking the water down another even darker step and also sealing the deal that basically you're stuck here. Because Tommy's the one that obviously he, the whole tool that he is in the, in the plot, he introduces the idea, wait, I knew a guy, he's the new guy that just showed up and has became part of the group. But he says, oh, wait, I was at another place. And this guy said he, he basically killed your wife, right? He comes up with that new plot point that then sets everything in motion for sort of that, the, the third act. I remember thinking, and even to this day, like, do we need that? Like, you know, and, but then if you take that out, you lose a lot of those plot points that end up making the ending so fulfilling. And I'll tell you, I, I, the, my experience watching the movie this time over the weekend, I watched it with my daughter who's 18, had never seen the movie. Oh, wow. And uh, she, you know, I could watch her, you know, as you, you sort of clock it, right? Right about that hour, 15, hour and a half. Uh, I, I noticed she's, you know, writing yeah. a text to her boyfriend or something on her phone. But at the end of the movie, when the big twist happens, I hear her say, <gasps> it's an escape movie. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. It is. It yeah. Is. And all of a sudden, the whole movie comes into focus. And the first thing uh-huh. she said when it was over was, when can we watch that again? Oh, wow. Right? I consider that an enormous... And you gave her a kiss on the forehead. <laughs> sweet, sweet girl. Go back to college. No, it was. it, it is exactly the, the experience that I, I wanted her to have, which is, I think, I, it has to be what Darabont is going for there that says if you are patient through all of these blocks that we're putting you to putting together for you, you will be rewarded at the end. You trust me. And and I think that's one of the gifts of the movie. And I think it's why it had such a hard time in the box office and why it, it's such a great candidate for that slow burn kind of, uh, you know, home video release traction. Well, I totally agree. That's why all of us probably had a uh, yeah, it's a pretty good movie the first time. But then the second time and the third or the fourth, you love it even more. And I've heard this response from many, many people. Yeah, and it's it's because you start seeing the genius of Frank's great script. I want to go go back and give him a nod there again. Because if it wasn't for that scene that you talked about, uh, Tom, when Tommy... God, why am I always talking to Andy and then I'm talking about Andy and now I'm talking about Tom? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, when, you, when, when Tommy, that character, is introduced and it, and it legitimately gives him the redemption that we want for him, that he we see that he he could prove now that he's an innocent man. It actually is that. Because there's up until that point, there's a question mark in our head. It we never saw if he shot her. We we only have his word. We saw how the trial went down. He did seem cold. Well, and, and, and I'll add to that, Tony. The first time I watched that movie, I was waiting for that moment to where oh no, we're going to hear the final truth that he actually did because they're setting it up with there's no innocent people here There's in Shawshank. And he's like, well, I kind of didn't do it. He never actually even says that, right? So I'm, I'm waiting for it to come out that he actually did kill his wife. And to your point, that doesn't happen. I feel like there's all these sort of like 
red herrings that are kind of being thrown out during the movie. I guess my point about Tommy is that up until that point, we as an audience are not knowing if he's going to break out of the prison. Well, we don't know that he's breaking out of the prison at that point. But when he does, we feel like it's okay. We allow that. He's still a good guy because he's already been proven innocent in our minds. And therefore, this is his only true way to get out of this situation. Otherwise, he's just going to go on being punished. And we don't want that for our main character. We like him too much at that point. We want him to get free. But now we see it as a just, just thing that he's doing. You know? And not merely a celebration of prison literacy programs, which, which right. it could have been. Which, which right? it could be. It could have <laughs> <Yeah>. been. <laughs> right. It I could know. have been. It could have been the, the Birdman of Alcatraz yeah. type of story. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Buy a book. Well, what's interesting prisoner. also about that is... You know, not only was he planning his escape, he had the rock hammer, he was digging the hole with the poster covering it up. But once he started, like, getting into the money laundering side of things with the warden, not by choice, but he was kind of forced into it. But obviously, he was then using all of that and planning that out, too, so that he could get back at the warden if he needed to, so that he could get money if he needed to. Because as he said, as we learn, he's got the signatures for this fake character that they've created. And so it's like he's very smart, always thinking not just like months ahead, but clearly years ahead. And I think it's no uh, no surprise that he is carving a chess set because, you know, that is very much a, a thinking game where you really want to be thinking as many steps ahead as possible so that you can kind of, you know, lead to a win. And I think that's exactly what he was doing is he is just so far ahead of everybody and including the audience. And that's what makes that last half hour just so gratifying when the warden throws that chess piece and it goes through the poster and you just hear the the clunk behind it as it's like bouncing down the tunnel. It's like, you know, we're, we have the same look on our face yeah, that Morgan Freeman does when we see <laughs> him. Metal pipes. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's so exciting. Yeah. yeah, so smart. So it's such a smart script. It, Bob Gunn is such an incredible vessel for that kind of like idiocy in uh, authoritarian leadership. Like he's just really, really good at, <laughs> at playing that that role. Uh, I, I buy it. He I is. Totally right. buy it. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. He could be a high school principal and I would buy yeah. it for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and Tom, I was looking up the time, the running time of Shawshank Redemption yeah. is two hours and 22 minutes. So not hugely long compared to some movies these days. Um, it's not the Irishman. Yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> right, right. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Talk about red. I know I did not want to sit through that anymore, but two hours and 22 minutes is considered long, I guess, for that time period when it came out for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, like you're, you're, you know, a lot of people are more like, oh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a buck 50. That's that's about as far as I'm going, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it went a little bit further than that. But, okay, so here's one thing I would love to hear you guys viewpoint on, which is, is this a faith movie, okay? Because mm. it's funny to me that Shawshank Redemption has been claimed by yeah. the church in a lot of ways, right. right? I've heard of Bible studies about Shawshank Redemption and, and that, uh, you know, people have called, uh, you know, and he's a Christ figure, and and he is, and you even have that at the end. I mean, he does this; he goes yeah. prostrate, or arms you know, he's like stretches yeah. arms out, and he's literally getting rain on him as he's come out of hell, basically, yeah. it's like and a rebirth, washing his sins away. There's a whole rebirth mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, there's a lot of things that you could definitely say, and I don't think they're accidental. I think there is a lot of symbolism there too. So I'm not disagreeing that they're not there, or that somebody's reading into it. I 
kind of think it's it seems obvious. But but then on top of that, there's all this Bible play, right? There's a lot of verses, and I love that kind of moment where the warden and Andy in his cell are they kind, kind of, of test them. They're testing each other. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, really, the warden testing Andy mostly, but they're they're going back and forth with quoting Bible verses, and you know, obviously, the warden's impressed. He, he knows his Bible, but at the same time, the most Christian person, quote unquote, in that movie from the get go, from the very moment of the beginning of the movie, the, that character's first introduced is the warden, right? And who he then obviously turns out to be the most evil person in Shawshank. So, right. do you guys think that that's actually kind of on purpose, sort of a negative thing to say about believers that they're hypocritical and all that? Or do you see this as more of a because there's a redemption? To, to a character that we don't really know, Andy, we don't know if he's really a believer or if he just grew up memorizing the Bible or he, in jail, he became, maybe he became a believer then. Who knows? But I wouldn't say we know that. Yeah, right. I mean, it's a really interesting perspective. And I, you know, from what I've read about the film is like Frank Darabont didn't necessarily put that stuff in there. I, I haven't seen if Stephen King put that in into the story intentionally, but Frank Darabont just put it in there. And but he's thrilled that people are pulling these sorts of things out because I mean, you know, it's it's always exciting. You know, as an artist, you create something, but then once it's out there, it's really it belongs. Uh, you know, as as people have said before, it belongs to the audience at that point. Um, I love that people get these sorts of uh, views out of it, and absolutely, I think that you can really see that. And what I find so interesting about that perspective between the different characters is, I mean, it, it, a certain a certain sense, I, I think that there's an interesting biblical read to it where you look at somebody like the warden and he seems like very much he's preaching like he's holy, but he's less than holy, you know, like like one of the people who's worshiping the idols type of person, you know, like he's he sees the Bible and all the elements of it almost as just something to kind of hold and use as as kind of a, a tool rather than actually being a religious person. And so I think that's interesting. Whereas Andy, we don't know much about him, but he does come across as that type of uh, character who kind of rises up from from the bottom and just becomes somebody who's just there doing good. And and you and and by doing that ends up influencing people. And so I can absolutely see where people would see kind of like some Christ metaphors uh, coming through with the story. I, I find it a really interesting read. Yeah. To me, it's, it's about, you know, the, the themes of the movie. I could see how um, uh, people of faith have, and Christians particularly have, have taken this on and as their movie in a lot of ways, because the truth it's about, the themes are about truth. The themes are about integrity. Hope is mentioned oftentimes in there. Um, and and Andy embodies those elements. So um, I, I don't think it was, you know, derived in any way to be a faith movie uh, in any way uh, because of the people that were involved and the intentions uh, that I know, just like you talked about, Andy. Um, but I do think that um, it's a great example. Um, it's a great movie to cling to if you are a person of faith because there's so many rich elements there. There's so many truths that are that come out um there's so many uh contrasts between good and evil and things like that that um that you can gain from it and it and it and it does impact you i felt i felt that when i left the the theater the first time i saw it i felt like moralistically i felt impacted also i didn't feel like i just saw a really good movie you know great action filming and all this kind of stuff and whoa that score you know um it was just more this feeling of like 
wow, I went on a journey with this guy that I really respected and I grew because of it. I, I think it's, um, you know, I, pretty much what I know about scripture I learned from Jesus Christ Superstar. So, you know, <laughs> take that for a grain of salt. Hold this loosely. I, yeah. You know, I, I, my sense is that, that this is what makes the film so great is that it's a reticular postcard of, of belief systems. What it, what it offers us is a window into the collision of worldviews and whether or not you see the warden as some sort of glorified King Herod, uh, you know, he had a belief system and just because it was in the Christian Bible uh, doesn't necessarily mean that that's some sort of critique about Christianity. It is a critique about him as a as a leader of of men and about those men as followers of his, right? And and when those collisions occur, uh, we see this one rise up as a model, as an avatar, as um, and and that that is Andy to say, hey, there's another thing we can believe in. Now, whether you, you, you know, scotch that tape that on top of, of a Christian model or any other. To, to Tony's point, I walked out of this movie a changed person. Every time I see it, I'm a changed person a little bit because it changes the way I see the world. And uh, I don't necessarily consider that a, a, a Christian transformation. I consider it a, a deeply personal one. And that's that's the gift of Shawshank. And that's the gift gift of really strong storytelling, too, right? I mean, I think that there are a lot of times where you have a story that has this many rich characters and themes. And I, I mean, I think that's what is so exciting about just film as a storytelling medium is that you can get so absorbed into it. And then there's so much to think about and process afterwards. So, I, I mean, I, I'm thrilled that this is such a, a film. I mean, it really is one that just, for me, has, has stood the test of time. I think, I think Tom, to your point, I I. Uh, some of the critique I have read is that don't know it's not a Christian movie. You shouldn't let don't let them teach this in Bible study. I, I I have to come around to you know let them have it. If there's anything that pastors and and religious fig, like religious people are great at, it's it's you know teaching through stories. <laughs> let them use oh, it. Yeah, it's a no, great story. You could say that's biblical. You know, yeah. parables. Yeah, right? Parables yes. are absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I, I think as a, yeah, as a parabolist, let them have it. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, I agree. So can I can I can I transition to uh, my geeky Frank oh, Darabont story? Because I actually great, met yes. him once. Please, please tell. What? Tell the oh, story, man. I, I first this. Mulan, and now this. <laughs> I gushed like a little girl. I got to say, I think I cried on his shoulder. I was so excited to meet him. So this is, so I'm taking you guys back to about, I would say about 10, 12 years ago. I went to the San Diego Comic-Con, Geek Geek Central, yeah. you know, as we all know, San Diego Comic-Con. And I'm walking around with a couple friends from Disney. Now, I had already directed Mulan at this point. So I, I, that, that puts it somewhere. Thank goodness. You know, in early 2000s. Right. And... <laughs> I turn the corner, no joke. I turn the corner and it, and, and I'm already, I, this is my domain. This is yeah, heaven yeah. to me. Okay. I'm in, I'm in Comic Con around all the geeky stuff, the artwork. I love it all. I'm just soaking it up. I'm already like just a little schoolboy around candy or the something. The fibers on your skin are tingling. <laughs> my spider senses. And I turn the corner and it was like my spider senses went off. I just felt like there was a presence there. And sure enough, I look up. And there, um, at a booth that they were selling like really rare comic book original pages and stuff like that was Frank, Frank Darabont. I, I recognized him immediately, but not only Frank Darabont, but he was, he was with and hanging out with and gushing over the comic book pages with 
Guillermo del Toro. Oh my. So wow. Frank and Guillermo hanging out like buds. Nobody else is around them. Nobody recognized him. I, I think I saw a couple fans like, is that? No. You know, they just like, oh, it's <laughs> right, probably right, Tom right. Bancroft, the old, old white guy, bald guy. <laughs> that is probably Tom Bancroft. It can't be Frank Durbont. And, but I, I recognized him and I went up to him and I, because it was just like one of those, like, I, I have to say something. This is, when is this going to yeah. happen again? And it felt like, you know, yeah, there you was a that. veil that opened and I just felt like I was, I was allowed to enter in, you know, they're in. Did you say the word Mulan before you said your okay, name? Or it came after? in. Sure. I'm just going to admit okay. that out front. Right, right. <laughs> I, I always feel yeah. like, you know, I, we, we in the animation community will recognize this if there's fellow animators listening. We always feel underneath live action people. We always feel like kind of the ghetto version of filmmakers and stuff like that. So, but I do feel like I need some kind of credibility. And so, and here we are with two directors. So I felt like that was my connection. So yeah. I go up to him, uh, Frank and Guillermo. It's so nice to meet you. My name is Tony Bancroft. Um, I don't mean to bother you. I'm a huge, huge fan. I start looking at Frank. I, I was not as intrigued with Guillermo. I'm going to just say that up front. I think it was very obvious. <laughs> I, 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 I started just <laughs> I don't really love your to Frank. Frank. And I guess I said, I'm a huge yeah. fan. I've learned so much from both of your work. And I'm like purposely trying to include Guillermo now. Um, and uh, I just huge fan of Shawshank Redemption. I, I'm a director too, because I could see there was like this oh. glaze that started happening. Yeah, yeah, right. And they're like, they're right. like, we're yeah. having a moment over, um, you know, John Buscema <laughs> Spider-Man page. What do you, you know, <laughs> I was feeling like I was getting that vibe. So I had to get some credibility out there. I'm a director too, but in animation, I uh, co-directed Mulan. Uh, and oh. then, you know, it was, there was a, there was a countenance change in both of them. I could tell. And I think it was Guillermo first yeah. that who, who does really appreciate comics and animation. Uh, and he was like, oh, dude, man, that was, that's a great film. I love that, you know, and I'm doing a bad Guillermo all of a sudden. Um, and Frank too said he had seen the film and that all of a sudden changed me. Thank and I goodness. almost started weeping just hearing somebody that I looked Tony, up you needed to. That. I needed that for my lifetime. You really needed that. <laughs> Tom? No, I know. Would you call that the Darabont redemption? I mean, Ooh, oh. that's so good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I felt right. redeemed that two live action directors that I really greatly admired said they had seen my film and loved Mulan. And I thought this is cool. And all of a sudden I felt like I was welcome at the party. I was part of the, you know, party. Right, but I, totally. but then, then walked around, but then they quickly the turned away and kind of elbowed me out. And I, I thought, okay, that <laughs> yeah. was the moment. Okay, but there was I'm a leaving. moment. There was a moment. So anyway, Frank, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's, fun. have you ever thought about an animated film? Uh, that's right. You that's could right. produce. Uh, did you no, do that? I did not. That would have been you, Tom. That so funny. For, for sure. Tom would have tried to get it. a job offer out of it somehow. Right, right. <laughs> I, I would make a job out of it. Yeah. So, all right. So I have a question for yeah. for you all. Um, you're both animators. You work with a lot of actors and their voices. I just have to say, we have not yet brought up the fact that this is this is where that Morgan Freeman voice starts, right? Yeah. I mean, right. we all the knew who he was the as narrator an actor. guy. He yeah. had been he'd done some documentaries and stuff like that. But this is really like the film where you're like, oh my god, he needs to narrate every moment of my life. Like yeah. this, this is yeah. like just the best voice, right? I mean, Morgan Freeman. I can't imagine now anybody else playing this part he's just he's so good in it and then the voiceover kicks in you're like oh 
I read this great story. I love it that you say, oh, he'd narrated some things before. He narrated the Civil War, <laughs> like the iconic yeah. voiceover, like this I, Ken Burns I know, I glossed well, over that a little. And it's you can minimize that if you want. <laughs> but backing up, I mean, to what I said at the beginning, uh, that Morgan Freeman was not Frank's choice. It right. was some... It was Tom Hanks. The, the behind the scenes I saw, he didn't even know, was it? No. He didn't even know, like... Uh, hmm. They didn't think of Morgan. He didn't think of Morgan Freeman. Some casting director, somebody. He's like, I can't even remember who brought it up. But you know, first, you know, and I'm sure it was like his studio head or something like that. And uh, and I think he he didn't like the idea at first. You know, obviously he had something he wanted to be true to the story and all that, and have this white Irish man. But uh, which I guess is Tom. Hanks. Actually, I take that back. Tom Hanks. He was thinking of for Tim Robbins' character. For Tim, Tim which Robbins, yeah, I can Andy. see that. Yeah. For a, uh, he'd, he'd be a perfect dandy in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah, can absolutely. Although, I don't it, know if he'd it's squeal so like funny a pig. to see Tim. Yeah, do you guys know? <laughs> do you guys know how tall Tim Robbins is? And I'm he's like, he's a really six foot tall five. guy. Like he's like six. Yeah, yeah. probably Pete Doctor height. Six five. five. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. he is. But like you see it at one point, I think they play him down a lot, you know, as far as not skyscraper above most of those yeah. people. But you see at what point they go through like a jail cell and, and his head is like barely missing the top of it. Yeah. While everybody else is, is making it pretty, through pretty easily. And that's where I think it really sticks out. Can you, I mean, can you imagine Clint Eastwood? In that part, can you imagine Harrison Ford? I uh, know, or Paul Newman, right. or Hackman, or Redford, or Robert no. Duvall? I mean, all of those were names in the running for that part. I I can't see I can't any see of them, him. and they're all amazing. Really? I I could see Tom Robert Hanks. Duvall, maybe. I could see Tom Hanks. Well, what's yeah. stranger? Yeah, you you look at the Andy Dufresne role. This is Tom Hanks, Kevin Costner, Jeff Bridges, Tom Cruise, Matthew Broderick, Nicholas Cage, Johnny Depp, and Charlie Sheen. Those were people who either mm. were thought of for the part or yeah. or wanted to be in it. It's such uh, a strange list. Yeah. And actually, Rob Reiner, he actually read the script and loved it so much. He actually tried buying it from Frank Darabont because he wanted to direct it himself. He offered him two and a half million to do it. And he wanted Harrison Ford and Tom Cruise to be the characters. And I just can't like the Rob Reiner, oh Harrison Ford, God. Tom Cruise. I'm like, oh, that's not I, I can't even picture no. that. It, that's a different film. <laughs> that's that's so yeah. weird. Yeah. And, uh, but, yeah. But, you know, hats off. Be very light. That's off to Roger Deakins, uh, the cinematographer, though. And um, uh, Thomas, oh gosh, um, Thomas Newman, yeah, who did the score. I mean, those those were two big names at the time. Obviously, two names that have gone on to do huge, huge things even since then. Uh, but they added so much credibility. I want, can I back up to? I read a geeky thing that I just love. A little trivia about Shawshank, and um, particularly about uh, Morgan Freeman doing the the narration that that they uh, actually recorded. Uh, the narration once before they, uh, the first take that they did, it was like done in 40 minutes, the whole film. He narrated all the, all the lines that he does in the film in like 40 minutes, but it was recorded in some little, you know, shanty town, little, I don't know, um, bad area. So it, it was not recorded in the best quality. It was, um, they got it kind of on the fly, but they used that recording track, that very first one that they recorded and actually shot to it because they wanted to get a certain timing and pacing and mood for a lot of the scenes. So Darabont used that recording and wanted to use that as the final recording, but the quality of it was so poor because of how they had kind of, you know, done it really quickly and in, in not a great recording studio. So they ultimately had to have him redo it. And it took two days, uh, over two days to record the final 
track that that was not in in uh, Frank Darabont's uh, uh, at least acknowledgement was not as good as the original one he did in forty minutes. Isn't that funny? Uh, it's funny because I I did hear the behind the scenes and they make a reference which now makes sense. I didn't understand it at the, at the time uh, of like some of the actors were talking about filming at that big jail. Yeah, right, that, yeah, that was yeah. a real jail uh, or prison that had yes. been shut down. And uh, um, but hearing Morgan's uh, narration as they were acting, so they they actually did literally play it out loud while they would. That's go what I'm saying, Tom. Things. That's what I just yeah. said. <laughs> Well, is I it just? Think you I thought it was just our podcast where you that. came in and claimed my statements. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to no, do that here I too, do it all the time. <laughs> no, what I do is I clarify. Oh, 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 oh. There's a you big said difference. it better. Okay, okay. <laughs> this is the same <laughs> argument I have with my wife all the time. I, she's like, you know, it's like I said the pencil is yellow, and you come in, yeah, the pencil is kind of a goldish yellow. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> yeah. expanding. I'm taking what you did and I'm expanding. <laughs> It's a yes and yeah. yes ending you. It's good. Exactly. It's a compliment. Right. Exactly. I know. I and I, I do do that. Um, oh, you said okay, do do. So we can't stop. I, thank <laughs> you. Um, we can't. We can't not comment on this. To me, Shawshank is one of the most quotable movies. Right. And I, I think we need to do a little roundtable of what is our favorite quote. Oh, gosh, oh my! From Shawshank. Put on the spot. Now. That's right. I'm basically, I'm going to get busy dying. Oh, uh, uh, dang it. Did you take it? <laughs> Wait, I didn't even hear. Pete, what was it? Pete took mine. I knew it was so coming, fast. man. Say it again. I okay. missed it. Tony, it's only Tony because I can't do the entire uh, Morgan Freeman monologue at the yeah. end that I had to That's, say, you gotta, you, you gotta get busy living yeah, or get right, busy dying. Right. Oh. And that is that line is so iconic that I think it has transcended the movie. The number of people you can say that yeah. line to who don't know where it's from. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Was it written for this? Though? Was, it, was it Frank Darabont? that originally came up with that or was it like a saying oh no now you're gonna quest you're gonna i, make I feel me like that's gotta be a universal truth that's been around for a long time it know. was actually lao tzu <laughs> uh, who first said <laughs> yeah, that. I, I, did you just look that up I, that, <laughs> no I'm i feel like it up. was in the book so i feel like if anything stephen king came up with it but it's but a stephen I, king but i don't, I don't know mind. if it was around before that yeah let's give it to stephen king yeah stephen king gets it he doesn't win that often <laughs> no, not him. No. <laughs> all right, go for it. Okay, so he did take mine, and I, I had it all teed up, and now I don't have anything else written down. But there is another one. While this isn't maybe as quotable, I must admit, because again, my number one got taken. I really like this moment in the film where uh, uh, it's very at the very beginning when Red is saying, you know, basically, "Hey, you better watch it." The the I don't can't remember what he calls them, but the, the gay sisters. guys are, are are kind of scout. sisters. The sisters, that's what it is. The sisters are scouting you out, and he's like, and then so Andy says, "Well, I suppose it wouldn't change things if I explained that I'm not a homosexual." Yeah. And then Red says something super wise. He goes, "Well, neither are they. Yeah. You have to be human." Yeah. First. Right. Right. Oh man, they take by force. It was such a good point uh, to make, and actually kind of progressive. They're progressive in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so to me, every time I hear that, I go, wow, it kind of hits me. So I'm, I'm going to take that. I wouldn't say it's, <laughs> that's not why you're, it's the most quotable. <laughs> uh, but, 
But I like that neither they you have to be human first. So I'm going to claim that one. I just have to say right now that Mark Ralston, who plays the the head of the sisters, I had no idea until I was doing my research. And I don't know why I never put two and two together. But he is in Aliens. He's one of like the tough Marines in Aliens. Yes. Oh, my God. It just like blew my mind. Yeah. Really? Just like that. Totally. I mean, uh, he did. He did (laughs) such a a great job. Uh, You know, he just has that like. Ooh, vicious. And he's got these perfect little lips and stuff too that, you know, and Boggs is his name. Boggs Diamond. Yeah, Boggs, right. What a creepy dude uh, for sure. But yeah, I, I, I got to say, I do love that. There's so many, so many quotable lines in this I, that I'm drawing a blank on, uh, on all of them. You know, you're yeah. a tall drink of water. I don't know. That, maybe that was from <laughs> something else. How about uh, this one? I understand you're a man who knows how to get things. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yep. Yep. A good one. I Be- use that at, Rehabilitation. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Yeah, there there are a lot of good lines. Salvation lies within. Um, He had the whole thing at the end. Some birds aren't meant to be caged. Their feathers are just too bright. Mm. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And then uh, this is always fun. Put your trust in the Lord. Your ass belongs to me. Welcome to Shawshank. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's how I greet people when they come to my house. (laughs) (laughs) Very useful. That's a little little. Welcome to Bancroft. That's planet. right. That's right. <laughs> oh, and 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 what what's the line to? Oh gosh, that Hayward says they're making bets on uh, the character who literally has the the credited title in the film, fat ass. Uh, I feel feel sorry for the actor. That's how he'll go down in history. Uh, but when they're you know, they're making bets in the beginning of the film on who's going to scream and cry first, uh, right. and then Hayward with, wins, with and he's fish. like, yeah. Uh, cold fish for the win or he says something like or fat ass for the win that's what it is I think it is <laughs> was this a PG this, that's, that's, oh, that's PG-13 is good that? yeah so you're okay. good there you know what's funny is was that oh, your podcast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're not John, doing our podcast oh, Tom, so our, we can yeah. do this on there right. a little uh, side yeah, note about that right. character is John Favreau that was actually one of his first auditions out in Hollywood was for fat ass oh my and, gosh he would have been and good he, he said his he was he, he said it was one of the worst auditions he ever had and just doing the audition was enough for him to say i need to lose some weight oh really so, yeah <laughs> because oh. he didn't like his, his character name probably. yeah well and he was yeah being cast as that and i think that just kind of uh, you know yeah. like you said you don't want to be known as the guy who played fat ass so he got it back he got that weight back, he did so. he did well you got know to, yeah chef. when you're making movies like chef <laughs> of course <laughs> well let's talk about awards real quick i know we're kind of running running tight on time here yeah. um the movie had 21 wins 43 other nominations at the oscars it had seven nominations and it lost them all best picture mm-hmm. Lost to Forrest Gump. And speaking of lengths, let me just say Forrest Gump, exactly the same length of time as the Shawshank Redemption. And oh. Pulp Fiction was actually the longest oh. film nominated that year. At uh, I think it had an extra like 10 or 15 minutes on it. So it's not the longest film in the yeah. bunch. Wow. It was a year of long films. It was. Morgan Freeman was nominated for yeah. Best Actor, but lost to Tom Hanks for Forrest Gump. Best Adapted mm. Screenplay lost to Forrest Gump. Best Cinematography lost to Legends of the Fall. Best Sound lost to Speed. Best Film Editing lost to Forrest Gump. And Best Score lost to Hans Zimmer for The Lion King. Oh, wow. That's right. Yeah, that, that was, was, his, that, that was a that big was, year. That was. was. Those are it was all a, really good A movies. lot of good stuff. But that was before the an, yeah. animation division had their own award. So Yeah, um, right, right. Otherwise, well, Lion no, King would have won. Well, because no. The well, they didn't have an animation category, but, but, but right. Beauty and the Beast had already been nominated for Best Picture. So it could have 
been in the mix for at least best picture. Yeah. There was a that's a whole podcast in itself that what happened with Pam yeah. Ryan. Yeah, there's a year. lot yeah. of right, right. <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of leading. exactly. What's interesting about the awards as yeah. you go through it is it didn't win a lot of best picture uh, wins it the the ones that it did win for best picture or best foreign film awards of the Japanese Academy the Casting Society of America the Ho Chi Film Awards the Humanitas Prize the Kinema Junpo Awards the Mainichi Film Concours and the National Board of Review so mm. it's interesting that for film that has stuck around so long it's just not it's just not uh, it wasn't recognized at the time and I just find that so striking. Speaking of numbers, how did it do at the box office? That's right. Well, Darabont's first feature-length adaptation of King's work cost a cool $25 million to get made, or $43.2 million in today's dollars. The movie started slow, opening on September 23rd, 1994, on just 33 screens, opposite Terminal Velocity and the even more limited release of The Making of and God Spoke. Really fun uh, docu-comedy, I guess, yeah. It had a slow growth, but it never, ever really took off. Even after increasing its number on screens and its award nominations, it did have that bump. It landed with an earning of $28.7 million domestically and 178000 internationally, or just under $50 million in today's dollars. Puts it in the green, barely giving an adjusted profit per finished minute of 47000 but Warner Brothers considered it a loss. That being said, they must have seen what was in it because they shipped over 300,000 copies of the video to video stores, and it became not only the most rented title in 1995, but one of the highest grossing video rentals of all time. Yeah, video really oh, saved absolutely, that film. Absolutely. This, it's one of those movies I've owned on every format, with the exception of Laserdisc, because Andy bought that one. <laughs> because I had that one. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> because because oh, there's only one yeah. sucker out of That's four right. that got that into the list, right? That was me. Hey, yeah, I yeah. skipped the HD right. DVD. <laughs> Good right. for you. Good for you. Good if, call there, because you're already burned on the laser. The halcyon days of the formats that you have to flip over every 15 minutes. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Did you double down and do beta and VHS? I, actually, I did. <laughs> I I grew yeah. up with with beta yeah Superman oh you man went. yeah yeah Dad was a was a yeah. real hooligan for the stuff uh, this was a absolutely fantastic uh, movie to revisit and uh, made even more so uh, with you guys at this point we turn our attention to the horror show that is flickchart.com uh, if you don't remember flickchart.com allows us to pit this movie against other movies that likely shouldn't be pitted against this movie. So you have to imagine you're sitting on an island and all you have is a TV and this movie and one other movie. And you get to pick between the two. And we go through about eight of them. And so uh, Andy is going to walk us uh, through our journey to Flickchart. Let's see where we go. Flickchart hate crimes. First up, we have the Shawshank Redemption or the Birdcage. Oh, Shawshank. Shawshank. Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption, yeah. absolutely. The Shawshank Redemption or Platoon? Shawshank. Yeah. Totally Shawshank. Shawshank. Yeah. The Shawshank Redemption or Creed? Ooh. Shawshank. That's a really good movie, but Shawshank. Shawshank. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I forgot what Creed was. <laughs> it's a really good movie, <laughs> yeah. is what it is. Well, a lot newer. <laughs> it is, yeah. Yeah. For sure. The Shawshank Redemption or Black Hawk Down? Mm. Shawshank. Oh, Shawshank. 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 
You're on a desert island. You need hope. <laughs> yeah. How right. This beat? is a rough Shawshank. one. You yeah. need Shawshank. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I want to watch a war movie. Oh, yeah, this one, The Shawshank Redemption anyway. or Parasite. <laughs> oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> oh, Parasite, Shawshank. but it's Shawshank. Shawshank. Yeah, it's still Shawshank. Oh, really? Oh, oh no. controversial You're the take. one. Can we talk right now? <laughs> oh, oh, come on, please. That, this would be a good podcast because I loved, I love Parasite. And I, yeah, really? I, I do not agree with that. So Tom and I usually have the same mind and therefore the same, you know, impulses, but not yeah, no, now. My it's, fighting it's words. Same, same urinary tract, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Which has been stable. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I'm you heard it here too. first. Glad to hear. All, All right. right, next up, Shawshank Redemption, E.T., the extraterrestrial. Gosh, Ooh, Shawshank. that's kind of oh, yeah. First contender. First contender. I'm still Shawshank. Shawshank. I might I've go E.T. Shawshank. I might go E.T., but I, okay. I don't know. All right. Well, you want to be <laughs> Andy, are you <laughs> Shawshank? I'm totally totally Shawshank. Still. Okay. Yeah. Three to yeah. one. Shawshank Redemption or Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Oh gosh, oh, I love that film that's too. That's a good one. one. Yeah, talk talk about two I mean, two very hopeful both. films. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good one. To me, it's the grandfather of Shawshank. Really? Yeah, it really um, is. I'm still going to go Shawshank. Yeah. I, I'm still Shawshank. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm bankrupt Shawshank. brothers do that's not respect their elders. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm also we are also elders. Shawshank. Yep, Shawshank for me. Oh, uh, Shawshank Redemption or Charade. Great. What's that? Mm. Uh, Cary Grant, Audrey Hepburn, Stanley Donan's. Oh gosh! Oh, classic. classic. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I'm going to say Shawshank. Shawshank. Shawshank for me. Shawshank. This is the last one. Shawshank Redemption or The Godfather? Ooh! Hit me in wow. the gut. <laughs> I'm going to still go with the Shank. I'm going to go with the Shank too. I, I, I'm definitely still the Shawshank. I'm Shawshank yeah. also. The Shank Shank reduction. Wow. So that means, Pete, we now have a new number one on our flick chart. It is the Shawshank. The Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. I can't so. think of a better no movie. I can't either. What a fantastic one. To- you know what? Crazy. In fairness, not one of those was an animated film. That went up against. <laughs> That's like true. You done yeah. Classic Disney, like 101 Dalmatians. That would have been Andy, I don't know how many times I mentioned Mulan on this podcast. <laughs> I was really we'll able to count that. Shawshank or Mulan. Right, <laughs> we, we would have had a hard time with that one. Uh, yeah. Right, well, exactly. That was fantastic. And now, uh, you know, uh, that seems to be an easy one. If I were to take uh, Andy, do you have a report on how it did on your personal flick chart? Um, it's Pete. Let me just tell you, it's number two on my personal flick chart. It has it has been in my top mm-hmm. five for a very long time, and so it's absolutely. And, and you know, it's one of those movies that when I watched, it, I'm like, maybe it's going to bump to number one this time. I, it still quite hasn't, but it's it very easily could. Well. What's what's the number one? And now I kind of want to know. It's Brazil. It's it's Terry what? Gilliam's Brazil. Totally different type of movie, but I just love that movie. Mm. Yeah. It's good. Okay. <laughs> it's good. No. Oh, shut up, Parasite hater. <laughs> This That's one, right. this this one is uh, super frustrating because on my personal chart it ended up at thirty four, and this is what I mean by the flick chart hate crime. Like I feel like it should be higher, but at some point it just ran into to something that it could not get beyond. And I don't even remember what it was. It's been on my list for a while, but it's still. If I take the flick chart algorithm uh, over to letterbox.com slash the next reel, our partners over at Letterbox, this is a five star and a heart movie. It's absolutely five star, top of the line, great film. Or does it stand for you two? Five star and a heart or? Oh, five star. Oh, yeah. Five star. Excellent. All right. Um, Awesome. This is is definitely one of my top favorite movies of all time. Yeah, it really is. 
It is. It's it's just it really stands the test of time. And, you know, it's one of those films that gets better, really, every time I watch it. It's just it's I don't know. I just always get something mm-hmm. else out of it. Yep. Find it. Yeah, see absolutely. It. Well, guys, it. I just got to say this. If it went up against Star Wars, now that would have been a hard fight. <laughs> Star Wars is currently too. my number one. That's oh, what that's see. what we're talking oh, about. All right. OK. So I see. Tom, I see. You may have. Right I don't know. There. I'm sure you that's said something legit. offensive. We're redeemed now. That's just, this is <laughs> yeah. There it is. Awesome. Well, we're going to be talking about uh, the Green Mile, as I said, next time, which should be fun. Uh, that This is where he gets Tom Hanks back into his clutches because Tom Hanks, of course, was doing Forrest Gump at the time. So now he gets to work with Tom Hanks and it will be another Frank Darabont dip into Stephen King territory. So looking forward to it. Well, Tom and Tony, it's been a thrill having you both here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. This was fun. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah, really appreciate it. Do you want to plug again where people can uh, track your podcast down? Yeah, it's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. Pretty much wherever you get your um, podcasts, it'll be there, I'm sure. Um, you can also check me out on Instagram if you're an a, a Insta person. I'm at Pumba Guy. believe it or not. Pumba Guy. P-U-M-B-A-A guy g-u-i yeah two a's two a's and i'm tom bancroft one the number one but much easier to remember is there a tom bancroft zero before you there, there's yeah. just a tom bancroft i don't know about a zero well he's a zero in our book you're, you're always number one in our book yeah that's right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you guys for joining us thank you everybody for hanging out with us and uh until next week when the movie ends our conversation begins Letterboxd giveth, Andrew. As Letterboxd always doeth. Mm, and how. Why? Goodness, do, yes, it does. Do you feel bad about going to the bottom of the barrel with this one? I do. I feel really bad. Like, I don't even want to know that there are people who hate this movie. It's an interesting exploration to know that there is a dark side <laughs> to <the> Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. it's scary. It's, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's one of those things where it's like... I, I'm at a point where it's like, obviously, there's going to be somebody who doesn't like it. But I'm like, oh, but there really are a number of them. There are, there are plenty. There are yes, plenty. There are. Yes, there uh, are. Okay. Well, I got one. I got a half star by Samuel Kerr. <laughs> Can you say that again? Who is it by again? It's from Samuel <laughs> Kerr. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do uh, it. Yeah. And so Sam says, Shocking film. I've said it once and I'll say it again. I could have spent my time watching Ratatouille. Terrible plot, terrible acting, terrible film. I'm effing fuming. Ratatouille was ready to be watched, but someone suggested to watch this. I no longer eff with them. Time to watch Ratatouille now. Goodbye, XX. My. <laughs> Except for I sanitized that. Did you get it? Yes, like, oh, there I was, did. Yes. I sanitized it. All the Fs were the thing that you think I was saying. Okay, good. If good. this were a PG-13 film podcast. Ratatouille. I, I love Ratatouille. That's, that's an yeah. interesting like pairing, though. Ratatouille, yeah. Shawshank Redemption. Ratatouille. Yeah, no, truly. And everybody knows Ratatouille Fs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're talking about a rat that gets some, it's Ratatouille. Ooh, you got one? You got a review? I, I have a half star by J- J.R.M. Genius. 
Or oh, it could good. be Junior M Genius. I'm okay. not quite sure. But this is a half star. And this is what uh, JRM Genius had to say. I'd rather eat the disease-ridden, <laughs> maggot-infested corpse of my own grandfather than ever watch another second of this god-awful travesty of a, quote, film. What a trope. Everybody knows eating <laughs> remains of grandparents is old news. <laughs> oh, well. Thanks, Letterboxd. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>